at Hebrews chapter 10 again this morning. We're going to start with verse 22 this morning. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And we're going to stop. I realize that's just half of the power or third of the paragraph, but we'll finish the rest of it next week. Uh, I almost feel like taking next week off because as I've observed what's happened this last two days, uh, encouraging one another, you've been doing a tremendous job of that. So uh, maybe I, no, I can't do that. I said, maybe I'll shorten the message, but I I doubt if that'll happen either. (laughs) That, That doesn't normally happen there. But as I think of what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in these two verses, I'm reminded of the couple that had been married several years, and as they were driving down the highway, the wife said to her husband, what, what's happening to us? We used to sit side by side, close together, and now look at us, one on one side, one on the other, and he raised that question, who moved? <laughs> he was where he always was, behind the steering wheel, so she's the one that moved. Down through the ages, God has desire to have a intimate relationship with his people. But as you and I know, that doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes we feel isolated or separated from God. And in those moments, I think God would say to us, who moved? It started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they chose to sin they they moved away from God and so God extends to us a, a gracious invitation in verse 22 let us draw near let us come into a fellowship into a personal relationship with with Jesus Christ uh, let, let us draw near to the the very th- throne of of God there now we have to ask God this question how is that possible how can we do that when, when we look at our, ourselves and, and the fact that we're, we're the ones that moved, well, as we looked last week, God did everything necessary, everything possible so that we could have fellowship with him. He gave his blood for us on the cross. He, he gave his body, uh, symbolizing that the, the veil was torn in half, the, the way to God was open for us. And then he gave us his blessing that we looked at that, that the high priest the blessing of the high priest, making it possible for us to approach a holy God. He is there for us to make that a reality. What do we have to do, though, to accept his invitation? I'm not talking about what do we have to do to come to church. That, that, uh, we'll explore that a little bit next week, and, and that is a, an important area. But I'm, I'm talking about what do we have to do to have a day-by-day personal relationship with God, come into his presence and, and to enjoy and, and, and have a fellowship with him, irregardless of our circumstances. It's important that we come God's way. And so the first thing we, we see here is we are to come with a true heart. If you have the King James Version, it says true heart. If you have uh, the New American Standard, or I'm not sure what the NIV puts in there, but the, the word that he uses is literally a sincere heart. The word sincere, the Greek word, literally means without wax. Now, you have to understand the culture 
where that was coming from, they had a lot of marble statues back then. And, and people would hire a bust made of, of somebody important in their family or so forth. And, you know, when you're working with marble that way, once in a while, the chisel may slip. And that would come a little chunk that, that wasn't supposed to be out of there. And if they were not what they should be as, as an artist, they would cover that hole with wax and you wouldn't see it unless you put that statue on the mantle over the fireplace and then the, the wax would melt. So they would guarantee, if they were a legitimate artist, they would guarantee that their work was without wax. And that's the word that he chooses to use here. Uh, and there's two qualifications for that that relate to us. Uh, if we're going to have a sincere heart, it has to be, first of all, a believing heart. He speaks here of the, in verse 22, the, the full assurance or, or the fullness of, of faith now, or, or the firm assurance of, of faith in uh, if you would skip down to chapter 11, verse 6 there, you find he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we, we can't even come into his presence without an element of faith in our lives. He goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there, there's two thoughts come out of that. First of all, if we're going to come with a believing heart, we must believe that God is that God exists. Without that assurance, we wouldn't even bother coming. Why, why would we attempt to come to, to God if, if we weren't even sure that there was a God? Most societies, most people have some form of belief and some form of worship. They instinctively know there is a God. There, there must be somebody greater. It doesn't take a lot of thought to come to that conclusion. The, the, the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. You, I don't care what area of science you, you choose to look at. You're driven to the conclusion there must be a creator. This didn't just happen by chance. It, it, uh, we, we were talking about that the other day. We, we have some, uh, I don't know what kind of lilies they are, day lilies or, or some kind of lilies. They, they were there when we moved in. I don't know who planted them. But they're beautiful. They're just loaded with, with beams. And we were sitting there looking at them the other day, and, and uh, I said, can you imagine something like that just happening by chance? Why, why in the world would evolution create something uh, of that beauty? What, what would be its purpose? Uh, uh, no matter what area you look at, you're, you're drawn to the fact there must be a God. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verse 11, it speaks of the fact, that God has set eternity in our hearts. I believe that refers to the fact that there is an inborn desire for us to have fellowship with God. That, that, that knowledge is there, and, and as one of our poets put it, man is restless until he finds his rest in God. And, and as I think about that, I think, have you ever read some of the work that the atheists come out with? You know, it's absolute foolishness to me to think you're spending your life fighting against a God that you say doesn't even exist. Why would you waste your time on it if, if, if you weren't convinced deep down in your heart that there was a God? 
And, and so uh, we, we come believing that with, we come with a fundamental belief. Incidentally, some of our atheists, as, as they were dying, revealed the fact of what they really believed. Thomas Hobbes, the English atheist, as he was dying, said, I'm taking a fearful leap into the dark. The French infidel Voltaire cried out, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. So he had fought against God all of his life. He knew there was a God out there, fought against it, and in his final moments realized, I made the wrong choice. I, I went the wrong d- direction there. So we believe that God is, but beyond that, we also believe that God rewards. Uh, the idea behind that is that God wants to have a relationship with us. The, the problem that we often face is how do people view God? When we worked with the Chilcotin Indian people in, in the interior of British Columbia, they believed in God. They believed in a great spirit that created the world. But but to them, that, that great spirit came and created the world, and then he went away, and he was no longer interested in their lives. And so they worshiped the demons and, and the, the, the evil spirits that, that were around them. They didn't see God as active in their life or as a God of love. And if we're not careful, we can have the wrong view of God as well. We often think of him as harsh, judgmental, out there to make life miserable for us. Uh, but that's not an accurate picture of God. We need to communicate to people that God is good, that God is a God of love, that, that he loves us, that, that he wants to, to fellowship with us. How we view God really affects whether or not we worship and how we worship as, as well. Do we see him as in love with us? Do we see him in working in our hearts and lives, working out that which is good? You know, you, you can easily quote Romans 8.28 to somebody else, can't you? Most of you know that verse by heart. Uh, God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. Do you really believe it when something happens in your life? When, when times are tough for you? Do, do, do we really believe that he is good and whatever he is allowing in that moment is best for us there? We come with a believing heart. He also said we come here with a sprinkled heart. Our heart, is, he said, is cleansed by the blood. That, that's what's behind the sprinkling here. If you recall your Old Testament, I, I'm, I'm sure you read that on a regular basis, the book of Leviticus and so forth. Uh, if you were a Hebrew, you would have had it memorized, but uh, we, we, we don't do that nowadays. But in there you will find that, as uh, he says back in chapter 9 of Hebrews, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. They're sprinkled with the blood. The, the, the priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the altar, sprinkle it on the, the, the veil and so forth, and, and on the worshipers. Uh, a, a picture that we need to come with our hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. When we do that, Romans 8.1 assures us there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we don't come with that sense of fear in our hearts that God's going to reject us or punish us. If, if we've confessed our sin, he said, he's faithful and just to forgive us 
He removes that, that sin from us there. He has removed not only the sin, but notice he says an evil conscience as well. Now, the obvious question we have to ask when we, we read that phrase is, have we accepted that as a true fact? He's cleansed our lives. He's cleansed our conscience. Uh, Ephesians 1 chapter 4 speaks of the fact that he chose us to be holy and without blame before him in love. Do we really believe that? Or do we look at our past and beat ourselves up because of something we did years ago? And God is saying, it's gone. It's under the blood. I've forgiven it. It's been taken care of on the cross. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our sin from us. That's a long ways. You start walking east today, you can walk clear around the globe. And guess what? You're still going east can't do that if you're going north and south, but if you go east and west, you, you, you never, there's no end to it. And that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Micah 7.19 says that he has cast all of our, sea, all of our sin into the deep, deepest sea. Now, I don't know how deep that is. I, I, I'm told there's a spot in the Pacific Ocean that, that is deeper than uh, Mount Everest is high. That's a long ways down. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have no desire to try and climb Mount Everest. Nor do I have any desire to plumb the depths of the sea to dig up the past that, that God has cast away there. It, it's gone as far as he is concerned. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four assures us that God said, your sin and your iniquity, I will remember no more. Years ago when I first started going to Sunday school. That's been a long time ago. But uh, we used to sing a little chorus. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Any of you old enough to remember that one? Uh, A few of you are. (laughs) I'm not the only old one here then. Uh, I haven't heard it for years, but it is true. They're gone. If we've confessed them, God said, I've taken them away. And yet, what do we do if we're not careful? Well, I can't I can't serve the Lord because look at what I did when I was a teenager. Or I, God doesn't want to have fellowship with me. Look at how I lived in the past. It's gone, folks. It's gone. He said, come and draw near. That, that sin has been removed. And so with that in mind, he, he encourages us to come with clean bodies. He speaks of our, our bodies here as being uh, washed with pure water. Now, there's a, depending on what commentary you read and who you read, there's a lot of debate about what does that mean to have our bodies washed with with pure water. Some see it as the the act of baptism. I personally do not see that. Our sins were not washed away when we were baptized. Our sins are washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I think baptism is a step of obedience that, that God asks of us, but I don't think it's a step of, of cleansing there. I, I realize uh, it makes for some beautiful songs, that, that, that viewpoint. Uh, we have that song, Clean, that, that uh, is often sung with uh, the Gaithers and so forth. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice picture, but it's not biblical. It, we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is he referring to here? Well, I think we get a clue in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. He says in verse 22, uh, 
Well, start with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave herself up for her. I just threw that in because husbands, you need that reminder once in a while. You need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I guess I'm preaching to myself at the same way because suddenly I'm going to be nurse. <laughs> and I'm figuring out all kinds of ways. Rochelle asked if I could use one of those devices that you can pick up things from a distance away. I said, yeah, I need that. <laughs> I said, that's going to save me a lot of steps. I'm going to put it right on Ginger's chair, and she can reach down and grab whatever she needs, and I don't have to run there every time. So we, we have to be willing to sacrifice there, and Christ did that for us. Verse 26, he says that he might sanctify her, that's the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with what? With the word, with the word of God. It's the word of God, I think, that the writer of Hebrews is referring to here when he speaks that we are cleansed, how? By the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9, the psalmist raises a question. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways or keep his ways clean? And it's through the word, by heeding, taking, heeding the word of God there. And so if we are going to have fellowship with God, it is important for us to be in the word to find out what is it he is saying to us? What direction would he lead us? What, what does he have for us? Amos chapter 3 raises the question in verse 3, can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the idea is can two have fellowship together unless there's an agreement there? If, if we're going to have fellowship with God, we have to be in agreement with him. We have to come on his terms. He's not going to come on our terms. We, we come on his terms. And so we get back to the word and we find out what does the word say? What, what does it encourage us to do? Psalm 66, verse 18, he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so we come cleansed by, by the word. That's what we looked at in 1 John 1, 7 there and 1, 9. Uh, we're, we're cleansed by the blood of Christ there. And then if we confess those sins, he does what? He removes them. They're gone. We come back to that same thought again. When we, we confess, they're, they're gone. We, we come cleansed by the word of God. We, we don't come on our terms. We come on his. Even in prayer, we should come on his terms. Remember Jesus as he taught his disciples to pray? One phrase that stands out there is, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will. Do, do, do we believe that? Do, do we come asking that his will be worked out in, in our lives? Do, do we believe that he's able to purify us and make it possible for us to enjoy life in the holy of holies, life before the throne of God, life in fellowship with our, our creator himself? We come with clean bodies. And then the third way we come is we come with a hopeful heart. In, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, again, you'll have a different translation if you have the, the King James Version. Uh, it puts it come with, with faith there. The, 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 Hebrew, or the Greek word actually is hope. Why do we come with hope? We come with hope because you and I are not home yet. We're not in glory. I realize we live in a very beautiful place. I don't know how many times we sit out on the deck and 
we just marvel at what we see around us, the, the, the beauty and the glory that, that, that's there. But it's not home. Our home is in glory. We're, we're, we're not there yet. Uh, Titus 2 encourages us to, to look forward to the, the glorious appearing, the, the, the return of, of Jesus Christ, because he's going to take us home to be with himself in glory. But that hasn't happened yet. I was reminded as I thought of that, of the the story that came out of the Civil War, uh, General Sherman, and I'm not sure this is a politically correct one anymore, (laughs) but I'm going to use it anyhow because it captures the point of what what he's saying here. And I think by now you realize that I'm not concerned about being politically correct. (laughs) Uh, General Sherman was taking the, the, the northern troops through the south, marching toward at, through, through Atlanta and then onto the sea. He left behind in the, in the mountains behind him a small handful of men to guard the ammunition and the rations that he had brought with him that they would need for the return journey. Uh, General Hood, however, from the Confederate Army, attacked the fort, and for a long time the battle raged. Uh, half of the men in the in the fort were either killed or seriously wounded. Uh, the one who was in command had actually suffered seven injuries. They were just about ready to raise the white flag of surrender. They, they were going to give up when off in the distance some, from some 15 miles away, Sherman sent a signal through the signal corps over the mountains with this message, hold the fort, I am coming. T.S. Sherman. And that gave him the courage to wait for just a short time longer until the army could get there and deliver them from the enemy. And in a sense, he says, come with a hopeful heart. He's saying, hold the fort. I'm coming. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. The fact of the matter is he is coming uh, again. We may face some tough days with the pandemic, with the economic crisis and so forth. But God would say, hold the fort. It's just temporary. I'm coming. I'm going to come and get you. I was thinking of that this morning as I was reading over my notes. Uh, We don't have any idea what a day holds, do we, until we've been through it. I, I, I never dreamed Friday morning that I would be calling 911. Never dreamed the last two days would be like like they were. But you know what? It's temporary. We're going home. One of these days, we're going to be with Christ in glory, and then there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears, no more heartache. Uh, He's made that promise to us. And and I know there's many people that are skeptical about that. I remember years ago teaching, I was teaching a Sunday school class, actually, and, and I was going through a series on prophecy and uh, one of the men that was in there he w- he was uh, well probably about in his late 20s maybe early 30s at that time uh didn't have much time for the lord in his life but uh, when i mentioned the the coming rapture he said you know i've heard that story all my life i don't believe it i thought what a tragedy uh, I, I reminded him you know what Today, you're one step, one day closer to that event than you were yesterday. Uh, Jesus speaks, spoke of the fact, or Peter speaks of the fact, Second Peter 3, that in the last days, mockers are going to come and so forth. 
But you know, it's not that he's hesitant to come. Second Peter 3, 9 speaks of the fact that he's not willing that any should perish. And so if he extends that time, it's because there's somebody else out there that needs the gospel message. And we need to be about the master's business and communicate that gospel with them. But that hope of a, a, a glorious future should enable us to persevere in the face of trials. The writer of Hebrews has much to say about hope. Incidentally, it's possible for us to have hope because our hope is rooted in the faithfulness of God. It comes out of chapter six there. When God could swear by no, no one else, no one greater, he swore by himself. It, our hope is based on the character and the faithfulness of God. You may remember that song, my hope is built on what? On my works, on my ability? No, not quite there. It's on Jesus Christ and, and his righteousness. And uh, we, we dare not, goes on to say, trust in ourselves there. But Hebrews says so much about hope. If you take time to read the whole book, you're going to find a lot of promises in it. When you look at chapter 2, verse 10, he, we have the hope that God is going, or Jesus is going to bring many sons home to glory. Many sons, and I'm, I'm going to put daughters in there as well. I, th- I think that the, the sons was an inclusive word there. Uh, what does that say? It says we're going to make it. Uh, Psalm 23 verse 4 says, even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Why? Because God's going to be walking through there with us. He's going to be with us in, in, in that moment, and he's going to see us safely home to glory. Are you looking forward to that day? when you're going to be with him in, in glory and, and share in his glory. You go down to chapter 3, verse 1. He speaks of the fact that we are partakers of a heavenly calling. Not just an earthly calling now, but a heavenly calling. He's going to call us to be with him in heaven. But in the meantime, we have a heavenly calling to live out in this life. And he's there to help us to do that. In, in chapter 3, verse 6, he speaks of the pa- fact that we are part of the household of God. In other words, you and I have been brought into the family of God. Uh, John 1 says, those that believe in him have the right to be called the children of God. We're part of the family. And so when you think of the future and you think of heaven, someone has said that when you knock on the gates of heaven, they're going to have to let you in because you're family. They, they, they can't keep the family out. So uh, you, you don't need to worry about when you get to the gates of glory, is, is the angel going to say you can't come in? No, you have the right to come in because you're a child of God. That's your home. He, he, we are part of the household of God. In chapter 6, verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, we are inheritors of the promises. Do you have some promises that you'd like to claim from Scripture that, that are precious to you? You've inherited that, that right because you're part of the family of God. You're, you're a partaker of the, the promises. I first realized that when I was working in Alaska f- uh, for a summer back in 1966, I was. I was up on a mountain. We, we had been working on a construction project for Arctic missions, and, and uh, the mountain was just over our head every day, and we watched for a couple of weeks as the snow line went farther and farther up the mountain. And when it w- was gone, we said, let's go up. And so we went up and, and 
or several of us went up. We we left after work that day. We we uh, had our supper and we went up because at that particular time the sun didn't set, and so we had we had lots of time to get up there and back. And and a few days later, somebody said, "You know what? I didn't get to go with you. Would you go again?" And I'm always a, a sucker for that. <laughs> if it's a mountain to go over, or, or you know, I. The, our kids used to complain that, that dad was never content when we went out on a hike because we, we'd go so far and they were ready to go back. And I'd say, I wonder what's on the other side of that mountain over there. <laughs> uh, so I, I went up again, and, and as I was crossing the slope up there, we, we were totally ignorant of how to climb mountains. Oh, we didn't have any gear or anything with us. We, we just went up the mountain. And, and I slipped on a patch of sand, and I started sliding down the mountainside, landed at the edge of the cliff, looking down about 50, 60 feet uh, straight down, and, and I knew the only way out of there was to crawl back up the, the face that I just slid down, but, uh, you know, I had a sense of peace, because that day, uh, I had claimed as a promise, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, fear thou not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of your righteousness. I don't know how many times that promise has come back to me over the years. And that's one of the values of memorizing scripture. When you need it, it's there. And God is able to bring it to to your remembrance there. We're inheritors of the promises. In verses 18 through 20 of chapter 6, he says, we have a sure and steadfast hope. Why is it sure? Because he, goes, he says there in verse 20, Christ has entered in the veil. He's there before the very throne of God in, on our behalf. And so we can enter with him. We have a sure and steadfast hope. In chapter 9, verse 28, he speaks of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. This time he said he's coming for our salvation. He's going to take us out of this world with all of its heartaches and problems and struggles. We're going to be home with him in in glory. And he gives us that hope as well in chapter 13, verse 14, where he speaks of the hope of heaven there. He said, you seek a city. And what a beautiful city that's going to be. I'm not a city person. If if God ever called me to the inner city, I'd ask him, what did I do wrong? (laughs) I, 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 I don't. Uh, Spokane is is a big city as far as I'm concerned. I can't imagine being called to Seattle or today being called to Portland. But uh, this is going to be a glorious citizen city. Read, read the book of Re- the end of Revelation and find out what it what it looks like there. It, it's it's tremendous, and that is the hope that we have. Back in the 1990s, Billy Graham was being interviewed by a, a newspaper person, and he asked. Billy Graham, what is the most pressing problem that young people face today? And without hesitation, Billy Graham at that time said, hopelessness. They had lost a sense of hope, and they were just drifting through life. I think we are seeing that in a greater way today than what we saw back in the 1990s. A lot of, not just young people, but a lot of people, even God's people are growing pessimistic because of the events that we are experiencing and working through. In John chapter 13, uh, 16, verse 33, Jesus put it in perspective for us. He said, in the world you shall what? You'll have tribulation. 
You have any tribulation going on in your life today? And any problems uh, that are occupying your thoughts and your attention? He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's just temporary, folks. We're going to be home with him in glory. We, of all people, I believe, have a reason to live in hope. We have something glorious to look forward to. Years ago, Henry Frost was a missionary in China before the missionaries were kicked out of China. He received some bad news from home. Now, in those days, you didn't travel back and forth as often as missionaries are able to do today. You didn't fly back. You went by ship and so forth. So if there's bad news, it was going to be a long time before he could do anything about it. He said in his, in his journal, he said, deep shadows covered my soul. I prayed, but the darkness only deepened. Then I went to an inland mission station. And as I was walking up the stairs, I saw on the wall of the home, these words, try Thanksgiving. He said, I went to my room and I did. And in a moment, every shadow was gone, not to return again. We have every reason to hope. And if we have a reason to hope, then we have a reason to say, thank you, Lord. We have, uh, uh, we don't really need a reason to thank the Lord, do we? How many of you have been blessed by the Lord? We, we could go around the room and share blessings. And I'm sure we, we could require everyone to come up with a different idea and I think we could do it. Well, I'm not going to do it because uh, the time's getting away on us here. But uh, try Thanksgiving. If you're upset with what's going on around you in the world in which we live, try Thanksgiving. I, I had to practice that Friday afternoon. They they were about to take Ginger out of the ER and in, into the hospital and the nurses you have to say your goodbye to her. I said, I don't have to say my goodbye. I'm going to go in and get her settled. And they said, no, you're not. <laughs> that, that's locked down. You, you can't go in there. And uh, I visited with her a, a few minutes. I didn't argue with her. But, you know, when I got home, I just said, thank you, Lord, that there's somebody there to care for her. And far better than I can. And, and so in every situation, there's something that we can thank the Lord for because we have hope that today God is with us and he's going to see us safely home to glory. The psalmist said God in verse chapter 46 there, God is a very present hope, help in time of trouble. Has he helped you this week? Have you taken the time to say, thank you, Lord? And, and are you walking encouraged because you have a glorious future ahead? And so as you look at verses 22 and 23, dare to draw near to God. Come, washed by the word. Come with your bodies clean because of the blood of Christ. Draw near in hope because God has invited you into his presence. Let's pray. Father, we marvel as we think of what you're saying in this these few verses of scripture. That you desire to have fellowship with us. You've done everything that is necessary for that to happen. And then you very graciously say, draw near. Help us this week to avail ourselves of that privilege, to draw near in faith, believing that you're there to meet with us, believing you're there to cleanse us, that the past is gone, 
believing that you are there to see us safely through the events of the week and eventually, Lord, home to glory to be with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.